This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Basically. I am your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today I have a very exciting podcast for you. Bit of a random one, as you've probably seen from the title. What is the story with being a tour guide? So in studio with me, I have my very dear friend and tour guide, Sam Ford. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Um, Sam and I have been friends and Sam's an actor as well. We've been friends for many years and uh, he's just a font of knowledge when it comes to history, which is something that I'm not too interested in. And so we often comes to bl- come to blows about that, where we will be walking through Dublin. He'll say, do you know about this thing? And I'll be like, no, and I don't want to. And then we'll continue talking. But tell us what it is. like Now you have my undivided attention and I want the information and so do the listeners. First of all, how did you get into being a tour guide? Um, so I studied German in college in Trinity and there was an email went around from a famous Dublin historian called Pat Liddy looking for tour guides who could speak fluent German. And uh, I told my mother about this and then she was uh, very enthused on my behalf. I was also enthused, but she really um, encouraged me to apply. Um, And it turned out I was the only person that applied. So, um, And I met Pat in the church on Jervis Street and we had a little chat. And then I started shadowing his tour guides for about a week. And then I had a real baptism of fire where he was like, oh, yeah, um, we have a Swiss group and the guide is sick. So you're going to have to do your first first tour. And uh, it turned out that this Swiss group were in a coach. They weren't walking. And I cycle around Dublin. So one of my literally my very first tour was with a Swiss group. And I ended up trying to direct a coach with a Swiss driver on the wrong side of the road around Dublin and I ended up bringing them round the oh, side. Oh, but you only know it as a cyclist. As a cyclist. So I have no concept of what it's like to be a bus. <laughs> and I led them down the side of the Royal College of Surgeons and literally there was like an inch of space on either side of the bus and there was a man parked in a jeep in a legitimate parking place reading the Irish Times and I had to get out and like ask him to move. And he was like, ah, sure, I was nearly finished this article anyway, no bother. And we just about made it. But I was like Is that the little sweating lane profusely. Where like news talk down Marconi House Lane. No, no but it's in, in that area. It's one of those, like you can imagine really? a coach going up a, a road like that. It With cobblestones. Like. Yes. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> but I bet you they loved it, did they? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, were there places that you don't didn't know that you would have passed because you usually cycle, but they were on a bus? Like, is your knowledge of Dublin only within the distance within which you can cycle? Um, no, not not really. Um, like, but but now that I'm more fluent with like the the buses, like with the routes that they take, um, there are, in fact, it's it, there's there's certain like dead areas that a bus is obliged to go through where you're guaranteed to get stuck in traffic, where it's like maybe like there's an empty lot or something, so you have to fill time then because there's nothing legitimate to talk about. Do you make up nonsense that doesn't isn't true? Absolutely not. Uh, I've only ever done that once. Um, but generally speaking, I do tell the truth or as close to the truth as I can muster. But sometimes, you, like you have to talk to what you see, especially on a coach tour, because there's no point talking about the Vikings or the Normans in detail. Um, you have to talk to what people are seeing. Otherwise, they'll lose interest and they'll stop listening. So you could be like parked up beside an empty house um, and maybe a Garda car will come past. So then you can be like, oh, there's, you know, on Garda Siachana, this is our version of the police and it means guardians of the peace. Um, you just have to take something visual like it really has to be visual otherwise you'll completely lose them Do you um, want to tell us about the time that you made something up? Yeah I I was um, I had a tour with way too many people it was 45 little Spanish students do you remember them that used to come they don't come anymore <laughs> it seems They always smelled amazing they always smelled Really I never picked up on that no. yeah. I was never close enough to them Oh I loved them It was. <laughs> I think go in and give them a big sniff the, It's kind of like I've smelled it since um, it's it's the kind of the smell of 4711 which is a really old perfume anyway it's just ah. very fresh They all, the Spanish God I have to keep an eye out now the Oh next they time. always smelled amazing Yeah mm, Go on Well there was 45 of them and uh, I had to bring them from Belvedere College where they were learning English to Merrion Square. And it was like a three hour tour, which is very long for little teenagers. Um, and apparently they'd all done this same route the week before. So I brought them to the, you know, the Garden of Remembrance and they were being quite rude. And I was like, hey, 
well, you know, pay attention or whatever. And they were like, we know these already. It's the Garden of Independence. You know, we don't care. We don't care. Anyway, we kept going and it was a real struggle to keep their attention. So then we got to Jim Larkin and, you know, it's this statue with these like arms outstretched and he's covered in seagull crap. And I was like, well, this is Jim Larkin. And in 1913, a seagull shot in his eye and he was so angry that he killed a thousand seagulls with his bare hands. And he's a great hero to the Irish. And then (laughs) on we went. (laughs) Did did that arrest their attention? Uh, There was like one uh, really good child up the front with yeah. glasses, of course. And this child looked alarmed, but was like really enthralled. So I was delighted that, you know, one person. Is there a statue on that same street, on O'Connell Street, of a paedophile? Um, there is a statue. Like apparently one of those statues, and I don't want to accuse Jim Larkin of paedophilia, but one of those statues on O'Connell Street, he was a paedophile, apparently. I read an article about this. Uh, I think in the Irish Independent it was all about the history of certain statues in Dublin it was around the time of all the statues being toppled Yes And it's I can't remember either which one and I know statues there's no libel laws don't apply to statues but it's one of the ones at the lower end of O'Connell Street anyway I'm going to text someone who I know knows yeah. this and I'm going to say I'm going to text live now It's not now. Daniel O'Connell anyway who but it's at the, the, it's at the lower end of the street <laughs> Who is the paedophile on O'Connell Street and Statue And History, mm. please. <laughs> I'm live podcasting and need info. Thank you. Okay, continue. Sorry. So there we go. <laughs> there we go. And when that comes in, I'll leave my phone on loud now just because that'll be really exciting, won't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, when we get the information. Okay, so talk to us. Sorry. But yeah. the, the statues, I mean, like in general, that's a really interesting. I mean, there was so much debate about it briefly. Uh, around this question of statues. Which I understand it started because there were statues outside the hotel called the The Shelburne. Yes. Oh, the text came in. Oh no, that's a reminder of my doctor's appointment. (laughs) Um, The Shelburne had pictures of these. Now the statues were black and there were... Nubian princesses, I think. Yeah, there were snakes and stuff, was there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Somebody who was a little bit overzealous in the Shelburne got caught up with Black Lives Matter and said, oh God, we better remove these. But they didn't actually do their homework. And they weren't they weren't slaves at all. They were like, you know, they were princesses. They, right. This was depictions of people who had a great life. Princesses. Princesses from where? So Egypt? they were nu- Nubian. They were Nubian princesses. Well, what does Nubian mean? From Nubia. That's not a place. <laughs> Apparently it is. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> but they were, they were removed and then there was a big uproar and antiquarians and art historians said, they're just princesses, put them back. And they said, oh yeah, we will, yeah. But for a while, they felt like they were doing good in the fight against racism. Um, So do you do tours solely of Dublin? Um, Generally speaking, Dublin, yes. And walking or Walking tours, coach tours. I used to do food tours. I used to do Viking splash tours. Sadly, those last two don't exist anymore. They're both victims of coronavirus. So you've probably people, maybe people haven't noticed, but Viking splash tours aren't going around the streets anymore. People... I hated them. They used to scream at people and I did. I, you know, I actually did think that, Steph. I thought there's one person who probably won't lament the loss of Viking no. Splash. Were you ever screamed at I was, yourself? yeah. I don't yeah, like it. Victimised. I, I was victimised on the, the street. The, the premise was quite fun. It was great crack for kids especially. Was that if you're in the vehicle, you're a Viking and everybody else is a Celt and therefore you need to scare the bejesus out of them. Is it was that great what it fun was? to do. That was the premise. So you're a Viking. Yeah, anyone inside the yellow vehicle is a Viking. Anyone outside is a Celt. Is a Celt. So you're just philan... What was that? Pil- rape and pillaging. So you're coming over here and teaching children to rape and pillage. Not the quite. <laughs> they all got the little helmets as well with the horns. It was a lot of fun. And then you'd splash into Grand Canal Basin at the end. I only did it for two months. And I honestly, one of the big reasons I couldn't keep doing it was my voice. I just got so tired. My voice was wrecked from going every day. Do you have a microphone? Like, does, is your voice something that a tour guide has to consider? Yeah. It's like you're shouting to the people at the back, right? You generally have a microphone. I mean, there was a there was one time I had a little hiking trip out to Hoth, um, and I'd love to talk about German tourists in Ireland. It's one of my favorite topics. Go but on. They were so at one time you, you like at the height of tourism, mass tourism in Ireland, 2018, 2019, You'd have some days where there'd be four cruise ships in Dublin Port at once. So generally speaking, the good berths are on the north side and then the bad berths are on the south side. And they're bad where where the cruise cruise ship ship parks. 
And they're bad because they're right beside the sewage treatment plant. So I had 18 Germans who'd signed up to a tour, you know, Germans uh, signed up to like a, a beautiful nature hiking tour of Hoth. And we loaded them into a minibus and suddenly we figured out that my microphone wasn't working. So the driver pulled over, but he pulled over right beside the sewage treatment plant. So then you've 18 Germans looking out and seeing this kind of random frothing. brown and white frothing scum and going, what is wrong with that lake? And I had to be like, oh, it's, you know, it's just, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't trying to cover it. up. Meanwhile, I had this bus driver from Cavan leaning over my knees, like fiddling around with the wire going, Jez, it was grand this morning when I tested it. It was, honest to God, it was fine. And then I just, you know, you just have to adapt. You have to improvise in these situations. So then I spent the whole tour like shouting over my shoulder at these people because the microphone was broken. And then on, on the cliffs of Hoth, I had to shout and compete with like the wind and the cliffs the and the distance of, the of these 18 people being all stretched out. And do know. people, OK, so just to interrupt slightly, oh, yeah. um, the paedophile on O'Connell Street is William Smith O'Brien. He transported, in inverted commas, um, to Van Diemen's land. He was transported to Van Diemen's land because of Young Ireland Rebellion, treated by the local governor with lenience and compassion. This person is still typing. Do you know any of this? Um, William Smith O'Brien... I thought he was the one who ended up as governor of Montana and I thought that he was also problematic because he owned slaves. But maybe I'm getting mixed up here. Well, um, more on that. You know, as a tour guide, every day is a school day. You're never, you never stop learning. And one of my favourite places in Dublin is Chapters. They're Dublin the section. Yeah, constantly being updated. So I have this like kind of Dublin library at home of just Dublin books. And it's it's great. Is there that much to like you could just do? Oh, my God. Sometimes like even for me as a tour guide, the level of detail is far too much. You know, like it'll be there'll be like a whole tome of a book just on Dublin's bank architecture or like the history of flour milling in Ireland, the history of fertilizer in Ireland. Tomes. The Um, history of uh, the history of Dublin 7. Do people generally who who are on your tours want to be on your tours? Yes. And do they tip? Oh my God, yes. Oh wow. They do. They really do. Um, one of the nicest tips I ever got actually was some people from South Tyrol and we were going around a little design shop in Paris Court Centre and uh, they said, oh, is there anything here that you like? And I was like, oh yeah, these mugs over here, they're really nice. I'd love to get one of them for my dad, but I don't think I would because, you know, like 20 euros is a bit much for a mug. And they were like, oh yeah, which one would you get him? I was like, well... Did you know that this is where it was going? No, not at all. I was like, oh, maybe that one of the stag or maybe that one of the elephant. And they were like, why not the bunny? I was like, ah, he's not really a bunny kind of person. And then at the end of the tour, they presented me with two, the two monks that I'd like singled out. And they were like, no, you can give these to your dad. He since smashed both of them. But you know... (laughs) He got them that time. Yeah. It's been a hard few years for us all, Sam. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Okay, what would you like to tell us about being a tour guide in Dublin? Um... Well, on the note of tipping, people who don't deal with Germans always say, oh, I'd say those Germans are awful stingy. Just pure, like... Racism. Racism, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even, yeah, even today I encountered some anti-German racism. German tourists are an absolute joy. And uh, seemingly, the first German tourist to come to Ireland on a, mass, on a mass scale came here because of a book called The Irish Diary, written by um, one of Germany's Nobel laureates, Heinrich Bull. Um, so he wrote this like really beautiful um, book in 1957. He came to Ireland. It was during like this big economic boom in Germany, but he came to Ireland and he saw Ireland as a kind of like beautiful alternative to, to, to Germany. And he went all around. He visited Dublin, Mayo, Galway, etc. And he just met all these people. And it's, it's really, really stunning. Like even in, in the English translation, it's great. And it was such a like, massive success in Germany that people started coming here in their droves. And now, and people don't realise this, the Germans are the third biggest um, group who come to Ireland. Like we're hugely reliant on them. So um, we have Americans. Yeah. So British. actually, no, UK are number one. Yeah. Uh, US number two and then the Germans are number three so 750,000 Germans came to Ireland in 2019 and they spent just shy of 6 billion euro here and people are racist <laughs> yeah a little bit but they absolutely love Ireland and they're such massive like traditional music fans and I think maybe part of it is like that they they admire certain traits that maybe they typically 
don't have themselves in us. And then we in turn kind of admire them like they admire Irish people's like lightness, their light touch, their kind of wit and hospitality. And then we're kind of jealous of their uh, efficiency, precision, all these kind of things. And then together, like if you if you could somehow have a... Hello, have, I'm yeah, here. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean. I yeah, am the hybrid. Yeah. Stephanie Preisner, efficient, witty, uh, conversationalist. Yeah, yeah. The German-Irish hybrid Precise. of perfection. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yes, I didn't know that the Germans were third. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as tour guides, as a tour guide, do you like people to ask questions? Love or, it. Yeah, and, and I'd go you, mad if they didn't ask questions. You'd be just churning out the same thing. And do do which group do you think ask the most questions or oh, are the, most it's engaged? the Germans, definitely the Germans, and they really sideline you like with their questions sometimes. And they're really, again, the the, the fascinating German mind. They love to get to the absolute core of everything, yeah. and they want to know like detailed recipes or they look at like electricity wiring and be like why is it like this and you'd be like I've honestly never noticed that before but it does look a bit sloppy you're right or they'd be like why you know why are there so many chimneys and they they ask these amazing questions and then force you to go off and research you know a German woman one time said but you know like Ireland is an island so why didn't you just eat fish during the famine and I was completely blindsided and got a bit petulant with her was like how dare you ask a question like that because I was trying to hide the fact that I hadn't a clue and then I went off and researched it and found out that um, the Anglo-Irish nobility had the fishing rights so if you were a starving peasant uh, with a field full of rotting potatoes if you tried to go fishing you'd probably be arrested or punished That was so so benevolent of the Anglo-Irish those, <laughs> those people um, yeah. <laughs> I love when people ask questions that I haven't thought of mm. and if you don't know now do you say I don't know yeah I know that that'd be a rare occasion where I just got completely flustered but usually I just say you know this I'm, is the answer yeah I don't yeah what are some fascinating things that you know that you want us to know about Dublin so the, the thing that came into my head straight away just there is that the very first elephant autopsy in human history occurred in Dublin in 1681. Um, it was basically halfway between where Projects Arts Centre is and Zaytun Kebab House. Oh, so it's yeah. the junction of Crane Lane and Essex Street. A fellow called Mr Wilkin, w- Wilkins, an English um, entrepreneur, brought an elephant to Ireland because there had never been an elephant on Irish soil. And he thought, you know what, Irish people are going to lap this up. They're going to love this big, huge, grey thing. Um, and he was going to charge people to come and see it. So he was storing it in a kind of a wooden enclosure overnight. Somehow the thing caught fire. The poor elephant was burnt to death. Uh, He then flew into a bit of a panic and he got these musketeers to guard the elephant's charred corpse to stop souvenir hunters coming in and taking bits of it away. He erected a tent around it, kind of a a, a makeshift marquee, and then it it was getting dark uh, this is the, the following evening after the poor animal had died and he got a Trinity College doctor and a load of Dublin butchers to come and chop it up by candlelight with a paying audience and the It's not an autopsy though is it? <laughs> it was yeah full blown autopsy and this doctor from Trinity College made copious notes with diagrams and that was the set text for elephant autopsy throughout the world for 300 years and you can go and see that in Marsh's Library they've an exhibition about elephants at the moment and Pride of Place is this random document which is like a written obviously there was no photographs yeah yeah, yeah sketches and that's so on that's mad yeah that's just one but of, what did they many. do with the rest of it then like did people eat it did they put it in the <laughs> Liffey where did it go um, I'm not sure actually again Did it's Germans asking the hard questions because I'm just thinking about the aftermath of that like so everyone's by candlelight they're chopping up this elephant mm. which is a big thing to do huge elephant do people go home with a bit of it someone must have tasted it yeah that's a really good question I don't know I never thought you know well, we'll, we'll this is to. why you need Germans okay <laughs> this is why we need Germans and what else yeah. what else about Dublin I did a tour of Dublin once mm. um and I don't remember much of it because I was being a little bit petulant because I didn't want to be on it. But I do remember that that building, and for those of you listening who don't know Dublin, this is going to be very annoying, but there's a building on the co- on the quays on where, on Parliament Street, and that, it, there's like, it looks like the stations of the cross are all across the front of the building. Yes. But actually, it's apparently the story of soap. Yes, it's gorgeous. It's called Sunlight Chambers and it's the former headquarters of Lever Brothers. And Who will give um, you your money back? <laughs> Do you know, that, yeah, that used to be an ad. Lever Brothers will give you your money back, oh. and then someone used to tap their back pocket. And I have a feeling <laughs> that it was that woman who's now advertising hair products, 
Anyway, sorry, go mm. on. Well, basically, you see all these kind of workers, like farmers and so on, working in the fields, getting progressively dirtier. And then the last panels were supposed to be these people, you know, with a lot of skin on show, scrubbing themselves clean with the Lever Brothers soap. But Archbishop McQuaid uh, intervened. And this was, you know, the the Archbishop of Dublin. Uh, and made sure that th- those images uh, were never seen. So, so that's why the, the last the last sections are completely blank. So next time you're passing the corner of Cable Street and the, the South Keys, have a look. So they're blank. Because of course, so Irish people, you know, we just terrified of the body. Yeah. So the end of the story was just people working in a field. So it makes no sense. It's You can see them getting working harder and harder, getting dirtier and dirtier. And then That's the bit the where they should be kind of semi-naked, cleaning themselves with soap is not there. So the, the crucial element is missing. Yes. That's brilliant. Mm. Sorry, that was me interrupting. And so, what was your tour? What else did you do? Who was who oh, ran it? Uh, it was one of those red bus, Dublin oh, bus tours. Yeah. We were we went to the Phoenix Park. Yeah, they told us about some Phoenix statue. Mm. That was where I learned as well about Arthur Guinness charging with you know being very sensible in terms of his rent, uh, securing his rent mm. for thousands of years. Um, I someone said something about. Mary Shelley Mary Shelley hmm. yeah. yeah Frankenstein no Dracula yeah. Frankenstein yeah Dracula or Frankenstein well Bram Stoker is Dracula That's and right, he Bram. used to work in Dublin Castle and he was inspector of the clerks of the Petty Sessions and his first big bestseller before he wrote Dracula was the duties of the clerks of the Petty Sessions so, so it was just a, it was a textbook about what he did what he did sort of tax related and then he wrote Dracula and then he wrote Dracula yeah that's mad hmm yeah. Anyway, so someone told me about those. He was he was quite a sickly child, so supposedly, you know, and he grew up. He overlapped with the Irish famine, and his mother was a classic Irish mother. So she, you know, she thrived on misery, and she told him awful stories of what was going on with the famine. And he was, you know, bedbound, so he had nowhere to escape. He had to listen to this woman talking about grim things. So he had a kind of a grim imagination from an early age. Right. Yeah. And Dracula potentially comes from the Irish druch ulla, bad blood, meaning the undead. Potentially. Potentially. Well, I suppose what else would it come from? Dracul, some Romanian. Dracula not from Romania, Transylvania or something? This is the other thing. So Dracula was originally, right up until the last moment, it was going to be set in Styria in southern Austria. And then at the last minute, Bram Stoker took a notion to just change it to Romania, having never set foot in Romania. Right. Yeah. So just... Totally perfunctory, like yeah, just random. Quite arbitrary. Grand. Yeah. Um, and what I don't know what else I learned. I didn't really <laughs> take too much in. But there are some buildings in Dublin that I look at and I go, God, I wonder what the history of that place is. Mm-hmm. Like there's a very, on Dame Street, mm-hmm. there's a really narrow building. Like it looks like mm-hmm. something out of Harry Potter that was just squished. Oh, yeah. It's if you're standing at the pen corner. Yes. And you just and you're looking across Dame Street. Yeah. It's just there. Do you know it? I think I know the one you mean and it's got um, a little boat on it above the doorway. Is that right. the one you mean? I don't know. It's just a very narrow building. I've never looked okay. closely at it. But I yeah. often wonder what that is. I mean, the, the, the thing about Dublin is like you could do an hour long tour or a whole study on just one street. Yeah. Like for me, like I find Marion Street really interesting. Do you know where like where the, the doll, doll is, is and government buildings and so on? Marion Hotel. Yeah. Because like even on that one Where street, Catherine Zappone had that party. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Go on. Yeah, I was there. No, I wasn't. Um, but like you know, you're so close to the centre of political power there. So you know, it's really interesting to try and read the buildings and read the statues. You know, and ask yourself what ideology is lies behind this. So, for example, we were talking about the the, the dodgy, potentially dodgy statue on O'Connell Street earlier. Um, if you look at the back of the doll, looking through the railings there, there's a massive big obelisk mm-hmm. uh, which memorialises Michael Collins, Arthur Griffith and Kevin O'Higgins, three founding fathers of the Irish state. But uh, before independence, there was a massive statue of Queen Victoria there. But when we became independent, we shunted her off into storage. And then in 1987, we actually sent her off to Australia. So now she's in in Sydney where she's presumably more popular than she ever was here you know she was known as the famine queen in Ireland but her husband is still there Albert 
the German, another German. Um, but he's he's behind a big hedge, so you have to look quite closely to to spot him. We've we've grown a massive hedge around him. Why is he there? He was sort of just allowed to remain, maybe because he was German, and we need Germans <laughs> to ask awkward questions. But do you think, like, was he just the the Queen's consort? Like, he was just the same as Prince Philip. Like, there's no yeah. reason for him to be. Did he do something particular? Well, he he potentially had an early death because of uh, something that happened in Ireland, which is that his son, uh, who went on to become King Edward VII, his son lost his virginity in Ireland. Um, it's often euphemised that it was an actress, but it was actually a, a prostitute who was living at the edge of the Curra camp. She was one of the so-called Curra Wrens. These were prostitutes who literally lived in like the bushes at the edge of the Curra camp. They were they, like... The Curra as in Kildare. In Kildare, yeah. Right. He was kind of a, a... What would you say? A bit of a rambunctious character to begin with. And they thought if they sent him to Ireland you know maybe they could drill a bit of military discipline into him um, to Ireland to the army like yes yes. but it didn't really work and then his, his military companions ended up organising for him to you know hang out with this prostitute and then it became the talk of all the gentlemen's clubs in England and Albert Victoria's husband was like you know lost loads of sleep over this and eventually himself and the future King Edward went for a big long walk around Cambridge in the rain and Victoria reckoned that this hastened his, his, that he got pneumonia because of walking around in the rain for too long and then he died. And after that, she wore only black until her dying day and she couldn't bear to be in the room with her son. She absolutely despised him. So sorry, just that's another like Dublin connection. And there's loads of post boxes all around Dublin that still have uh, either VR, Victoria Regina, Queen Victoria on the, on the, on the box, or else E-R-V-I-I, meaning Edwardius Rex 7, King Edward VII. And I just love... Um, seeing the red paint coming through. Because so they were red and we just painted them yeah, green. Yeah, they're red, like, you know, all the post boxes in England. And one of the very first things that the new Irish government did in January 1922 was to buy 200 tonnes of green paint to paint all the post boxes in the country green. That's so funny. But it's sort of like, you know, Freud's theory of the return of the repressed. You can see this, like, red coming through. Coming through. Where, like, is that all over the country? Or? Yeah, well, there's one on Marion Street. There's uh, where you can just, I don't, yeah, you can just about see the red coming through. There's another one outside the entrance to Dublin Castle where you can very clearly see the red coming through. But yeah, all over the country. That's so, so yeah. funny. If you mm. see one, send me your pictures. While I have you here and I have your captive attention, I want to let you know that if you are a basically supporter, if you are a Headstuff Plus member, I have an opportunity for you. So from now on, I want to change how my show was introduced. Usually I say, hello and welcome to Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today in studio I have, you know that bit, you've heard it all. From now on, I want a different podcast supporter to introduce my show because I really am grateful to the people who support the podcast. They mean that, you know, their five euro a month means that I can have a producer working full time on the show and it's just, I really, really am grateful. So I'm going to give you an address and I want you to send a voice note that says, hi, my name is Mary and I'm a Headstuff supporter and the reason I like listening to the show is because blah, 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 you are listening to Basically. And then I'll come in. So what I want you to do is send your voice note to www.speakpipe.com forward slash basically. That's speak, S-P-E-A-K, pipe, P-I-P-E, dot com forward slash basically. And when you go to that site, what comes up basically is this big button that says start recording. And you just record directly into that and then it gets sent to us and then you will be introducing the show. Thank you so much for your support. Spice Bags is a podcast about food in Ireland from an international perspective. Hi, I'm May. I'm an American food writer and I'm with my friends Blanca, a chef from Spain, and Dee, an Irish food editrix. And we are the Spice Bags, three sassy ladies with a lot to dish up. Join us for the chats. What else do you have for us? This is fascinating. I feel like I'm just sitting here listening to stories. (laughs) But you see, you package it so well. I just hate history. (laughs) I mean, you know, like in 1492, I think that's that's the trick is that like maybe as a tour guide starting out, you really sweat 
the the dates and the facts and that's no bad thing you know you you get a really good grip on all this stuff and then as you go along it becomes clearer and clearer to you that actually an entertaining delivery is as important if not more important because at the end of the day these people are on holidays they're here for a good time not for a long time they also don't really particularly care about the date like it was in and around yeah yeah I mean, one place I think that does that really well, an institution I really admire that I used to work for as well, was the Little Museum of Dublin. And they they developed this, well, I helped them, but they developed this 29-minute musical and comedic history of Dublin. So it's 29 minutes so that it's not even half an hour. And the kind of target audience, I remember the director of the museum telling me, the target audience was not the people who are already interested in history because you've won them over they're already in the museum it's like the reluctant husband or the reluctant wife who'd rather be off in the shopping pub or shopping or, yeah. and to just hit them with a few good gags and um, Can you remember any of the content of that or those stories yeah, that are interesting? I'm trying to remember well one of my favourite people in general just to talk about ever in Dublin is Brendan Behan um, who you know he started drinking at the tender age of seven his granny used to give him Guinness when he was being good so he's a very good boy for his whole life. Uh, one day he was walking along Summer Hill with the granny and another old woman came towards him and she said, Ah, God, isn't it terrible when the children do be deformed? And uh, Brendan's <laughs> granny said, How dare you, madam? He's not deformed, he's just drunk. And Brendan had just had a feed of porter, so his face was a bit swollen and red, as a seven-year-old would be. Um, but yeah, this, this, I just think he's a, he's a fascinating character. He underappreciated. Die? I think he died in 1941. He was very young. He, he was like 39 I mean, years old. Like, Did he die? Now? No, he died aged age 41. Some anyway. Back in the day. Mm. And when you do the tour of Dublin, what are the areas that you... Is it like Brendan Behan lived here or Brent like... Um, he wouldn't come up that naturally because of, because of kind of the, the, what has become the standard route. So and and I'm always interested in the in the kind of the routing of it because there's like, you know, there's only certain ways that buses can go, as we said earlier, and then walking towards they develop their own logic as well. Um, so, like with the bus, you kind of generally you sort of you're in and around the keys a lot of the time, and mm-hmm. then there's certain things you really have to hit. Like you'd have to hit Trinity College, some of the Georgian squares, Marion Square, Fitzwilliam Square, Stephen's Green, Dublin Castle. Guinness, Phoenix Park, as you said, and then you kind of connect the dots and talk about what's in between. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think that there's like how much of what was here before the Brits mm-hmm. yeah. is still untouched? Like, is there much untouched? Um. Well, the thing... Like, what did we have? You know, I'm just kind of thinking, like, so we have green post boxes that are covering red post boxes. Mm, did mm. we not have a postal service before that? Surely we did. Like, what's under the red paint as a metaphor? Okay, so, like, as in, you're talking about pre, pre-British pre yeah. Dublin. Um, well, not quite as the, far back as the Viking Splash Tour, though. Like, urban Ireland is, is essentially like a, a Viking invention. You know, the Danes, the Norwegians... Um, and you see that reflected in, in like, you know, place names like um, Oxmantown in Stony Batter. That was Ostmantown, men of the east. So when the when the English took over, they sort of kicked out the Vikings and that became a kind of Viking ghetto in what <laughs> okay. is now kind of Smithfield, Stony Batter. Um, but what else is there? I mean, there was only the one bridge over... Uh, the Liffey for hundreds of years and that's where Which Church one? Street meets the River Liffey now. It's the Father Matthew Bridge. So it's where it's where um the that pub is oh, my my brain is stopped. Church Street. Where, yeah, so oh, Bridge Lee? Street and Church Street. So that was the only bridge over the River Liffey. And that's where the Celtic settlement was, the Ford of the Wattles, you know, Bolyahaclea. And then Dublin Castle is where is where the Viking settlement was, and the Celtic settlement and the Viking settlement eventually grew into each other, became one. And then Dublin city centre in medieval times was Christchurch, but because the houses in medieval Dublin were made of wood, there's not much left apart from what's in the National Museum. 
But Wood Key Civic Offices, which is the headquarters of Dublin City Council, that was built in 1978 and that was really controversial because the foundations for that were really, really deep because it's quite a big building by Dublin standards. And um, they did a real rush job on, on, you know, digging out the archaeology there. So they did take out over a million artefacts and a lot of them landed in the museum, but they... You know, they didn't do it properly. More than 10,000 people protested against that, including Mary Robinson, who went on to become our first female president. Um, but yeah, most of the buildings were wooden apart from the churches. So if you want to get a flavour of medieval Dublin, the best thing you can do is actually visit Christchurch or Dublinia, which is in a kind of a, um, it's in that, that other building of Christchurch over the road. Is there a um, Viking ship in there? There is, yeah. Yeah. Is that like just a remake or is that actually something that they it's found? A, it's a remake, yeah. But there's, I mean, yeah, the, the National Museum, there's lots of Viking artefacts. Yeah. Do you ever have to do tours around museums or is that just left to the people who own the museums? Yeah, occasionally on a, on a private tour, say, you you might have to bring like a couple or a family into. Ooh, tell us about private tours. Who? Private tours. Oh my God, they're so much fun. They're who great. Who hires people for private tours? Um, Generally speaking, you know, I would say quite well off people they're usually staying in the Shelburne or the Merion or the Westbury this kind of thing and you go and you meet them at like 9 or 10 in the morning they might have you for 3 hours they might have you for like the whole day from 9 to 5 and they're very intriguing people What nationality are these people? There's a mix so there are Germans and Austrians and Swiss but then there's an awful lot of US like I'd say more often than not they would be from the US Right and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I do love Googling them afterwards to find out what the story is. And I've had some really interesting characters. I had like the producer of Community and Parks and Rec. I had um, George Bush's transport secretary. I had the vice president of Wells Fargo Bank. You know, like fascinating people. And usually within about 30 seconds, you can kind of gauge which side of the political spectrum they would be in the US. And does that and change your tour? It does... A little bit. I remember one time. How do you gauge it? What do you ask? Or it's just it just somehow yeah becomes apparent. But I remember I was talking about um, like Dublin Castle. There's the Dublin Gardens around the back where the Chester Beatty Library is, and that's where the the Viking city of Dublin started. Dublin meaning black pool. So it was where the the River Poddle and the River Liffey meet. And I was explaining this, and then I said, "Oh, and this doubles as a helipad." Um, these, you know, there's lights that can light up to guide helicopters in. And I said something like, the very controversial Margaret Thatcher landed here in 1983 for peace talks. And the guy said, uh, very controversial. I'll, I'm going to stop you there. You know, Margaret was a close personal friend. And I was like, OK, right. Uh. So what do you say to that? <laughs> you just have to kind of be like, right, we'll, um, I'll park all my Thatcher content then. <laughs> OK, but like she, whether or not you like her, she was controversial. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, not, yeah, yeah. it's not pejorative. It's objective, yeah. no? Yeah. That's so funny. Um, I also did a tour of Kilmainham Jail once. Mm. I love doing the tours of the jails and mm. like but you see then I don't really understand like the names of the people who were shot because I don't really understand the 1916 1919 mm-hmm. 1921 whatever those things like all of that mm. has blurred into one for me but I do love the the, the whole prison situation I think the, the the lovely thing about being a tour guide is like for me even starting out I, you know I think a lot of people have this attitude of like sure I'm from Dublin sure I know everything there is to know about Dublin why would I go on a tour and then like my very first day shadowing another tour guide I was like I just felt like God I've been blind and like um, I think like as as you as a tour guide you well if you if you want to be a good tour guide you push yourself to go to all these museums and then it's like a, a puzzle that slowly everything falls into place and these connections you know things like you find out that Patrick Pierce gave James Joyce Irish lessons you know for three weeks um, see that means absolutely nothing to me I don't know who those people are <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, just, it sort of all just falls into place um, and it's really enjoyable and most really good tour guides that I know things like Heritage Week Open House Culture Night they're always pushing themselves to go because they're just thirsting for more and more and it's addictive um, it's totally addictive 
trying to get more about the past. Does it change how you see, like how you live and breathe in Dublin? Completely. Well, I know it does because I can't walk anywhere with you without you being like, see this thing. And once it's it's like a boulder, it it like as in, I'll explain that. So when I'm walking around town with a friend, if they ask me, oh, what's that? It's like they've taken a stick out of a boulder and it starts rolling down the hill. They've unleashed the beast and then I can't put it back in the box it's like then the rest of the day it's like I'm just in tour guide mode and um, they, they probably would have been better off not asking but it's annoying for you <laughs> no. or do you like to share it no I do love to share it and do you do tours of other country cities when you go there oh god yeah yeah absolutely yeah and is there any other places that you'd like to be a tour guide of or that you feel like you know well I enough? feel like I know Vienna really well I lived there for two years I know Copenhagen quite well as well and the reason I was in Copenhagen was that I was working for Tourism Ireland in Copenhagen. So my job was tricking the people of Denmark, Sweden, Norway and Finland into coming to Ireland on their holidays. How did you do, why was it a trick? Uh, no, I suppose coaxing is a better word. Yeah. Yeah. Did they? Um, they COVID. did. They did. They came and then COVID happened and I was still in the job and then the job changed because, it, you know, it went from being like, uh, you could see the results of your work. You know, there was stats on how many Danes and so on had come, had come to Ireland and then all of a sudden... The whole tourism thing shut down, like, and it became a case of, okay, let's post a picture of the Cliffs of Moher and write hashtag dream now, travel later, hashtag longing for Ireland, you know. And it became suddenly like, it became, to be totally honest, very depressing. And then we were getting all this news of businesses closing down, like Viking Splash, like the Irish Food Trail. Um, And it was really, really sad. And it was supposed to be a two-year contract, and then at the like, I actually finished after a year because I just thought this is it's it's demoralising to to be just Looking constantly exposed to down yeah, around you. totally. And it's been very hard for an awful lot of tour guides. A lot of people have like changed directions altogether. Have you? Um, well, like the first six months of this year. I was working for health insurance. I was like dealing with um, German expats in Singapore and Saudi Arabia who wanted uh, colonoscopies in the middle of the night. That was my job. And then I got out of that and I did a little bit of work for the James Joyce Centre organising Bloom's Day. Then I did a one man show about, uh, believe it or not, a, a, a tour guide. Uh, and that was an outdoor Meta. play. Yeah. yeah, it was an outdoor play in Marion Square Park. That was really enjoyable. And now I'm doing a mix of tour guiding and teaching English. But I don't know anyone who's able to eke out an existence just from tour guiding at the moment. An awful lot of my colleagues would be on PUP, which is a lifesaver, but it's just gone down again, you know, from 250 to 203. And um, there's a lot of worry and a lot of, yeah, a lot of people like changing direction, joining civil service or whatever. Um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of really great businesses that have just gone to the wall. That's really sad. Do you think, I, I hope that it picks back up when people feel safe enough to, to travel again. I mean, it sort of feels like the weight of everything that's been on us, like mm. I, I'm, I'm too concerned about my future to be concerned about the past of this city, you know, mm. <laughs> like mm. I can't. And and even like I have been in, in, in a couple of places since COVID, since since we kind of reopened, I've, I've been to London and, and I've been to Portugal and it's very much like get to where you're going, go there, do what you need to do, get back to safety. There's not, mm. I don't have the, that curiosity of wandering around with my head in the clouds looking Mm. at what's around me anymore. Well, I suppose, you know, um, a lot of tour guides and a lot of tourism businesses in Ireland have done this Fulcher Ireland COVID certificate where they've sort of undertaken this like pretty extensive training. And, you know, a walking tour is a pretty safe thing because you're outdoors. And generally you'd be masked if you're in close contact and... And so on. And like since the 19th of July, there have been tourists coming back, but it's still not quite at the level. But like, I suppose there's it's no harm to like, you know, rethink the city a little bit. That's another interest of mine. I have a master's in urban studies from University College London because I just got so fascinated with Dublin and I wanted to do it. And it was a year long thing. But like even just seeing these radical changes that have happened, like Irish people, we never ate and drank outside before, really. <laughs> no. And then all of a sudden you have all these streets where like the, the, the path is twice the size and people are eating outside and drinking outside. Chairs where bins used to be. Like people yeah. would eat anywhere now. And it's great. Like, I mean, oh, Capel Street. I, I went down it for the first time since they've pedestrianised it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm on my holidays. 
Yeah, I hope they keep that. They, there's mm. been a lot of push. I don't back. think they can. They can really go back. Well, I think they can if they want to, and they've they've done some survey mm. where they've asked people. But the way that they phrase the question is mm. such that it, it, they're sort of tricking you. They're saying like, "Do you want us to leave it as it is, mm. or leave it as it is, or change it?" But leave it as it is is actually to go back to the old way as oh. it was. You know, they're just doing yeah, that yeah, thing yeah. where like yes means no, and no means yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I'm conscious of time, yeah. but I'm also conscious that you've got loads of stuff to tell us. So what else would I like to say? It's it's a gorgeous job. It's such a pleasure. Um, and a lot of the time it's work that doesn't feel like work. And I think that I I struggle in a lot of other jobs because I think I've been spoiled by tour guiding because it's just so gorgeous. Well, you're getting paid to go and meet new people you've never met before. And your job is to charm them. And you explain about Dublin and Ireland and our culture and our history and our literature. And generally speaking, they're on, a, on their holidays, they're pretty determined to have a good time. Um, you know, they've decided normally, if they're normal, yeah. that they're going to have a good time and you just assist them with that. And it it sort of helps you to see the positives of Irish society, generally speaking. So it's a very positive experience most of the time, 80, 90, 95 percent of the time. And you get to eat gorgeous Irish food, experience gorgeous Irish music. And it's, you know, it like nowadays it's kind of hard to have faith in in things. I think something that I like to think I still believe in is Ireland. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just, it's immensely satisfying to to do a three hour tour and, you know, enlighten people to a certain extent, engage with them, get on their level and then leave them like with a smile on their face, having made them laugh and having left them with a good impression of your hometown. It's basically a public service for the country too. It's like, mm. go out there and tell them we're great. Yeah, Team and Ireland, yeah. Do you ever get <laughs> bored of the same facts? Because like the facts don't change if you're on the same streets, right? I think certainly at the moment I'm not bored because I've had a big rest. Yes, okay. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, there's a big novelty factor being back at it. Um, but I, I am conscious of the fact that lots of the facts have evaporated because I wasn't, this is like cobwebs. Like, oh yes, okay. You know, so I've actually been doing a lot of reading again recently, trying to get it back. Get those cogs turning again. Yeah. Just going to finish the update about um, this mm. paedophile, right? Because the <laughs> oh, text, this is what the text stream says. William Smith O'Brien, transported to Van Diemen's land because of Young Ireland Rebellion, treated by local governor with lenience and compassion. Local police, acting on info, watched through binoculars as governor's daughter, 15, tendered sexual services out of doors. Thomas Schindler's List, Thomas Schindler's List Keneally wrote about this the odd urgency of your message has been fun. <laughs> so that's great. William Smith O'Brien. Great to know all that about William Smith O'Brien. Yes, yeah, so the next time you're on O'Connell Street. Pull it down. You tell, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? Like we're pulling down these New Pine, whatever they were, New Pine servants, but leaving statues to paedophiles erected. I do have an issue with statues in general. I think they're very strange things. It's interesting though, like because usually they tell you more about the people that put them up than the people themselves. So like this you know, is what people respected at the at time. At the time, yeah. Um, like what do you make of the five or however many statues of Luke Kelly around the place? What does that say? Why are there so many <laughs> you statues? You love the Luke Kelly statues. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the thing that upsets me is that, yeah, just that one down like in Spencer Dock or whatever, in kind of North Wall, East Wall, that just kept, keeps getting defaced. I just find it puzzling because I would think that the if I was from that community, the of. one with the massive afro, that I was, if I was that from that community, I'd be like, oh, Luke Kelly was from here, class. Yeah. Um, but I think it's because it keeps getting press coverage every time it's defaced. Yeah. But they're like, oh, let's, Fueling let's, the let's fire. be on the news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's yep. Luke Kelly, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a big part of tour guiding is like if you're able to sing, it goes down so well. Do you sing? I do. Well, go on. Finish um, with a song. Finish with a song. What is my favourite song? Uh, and to tell sing? us the story of where you would typically sing it on a tour, etc. Yeah. Um, I suppose. Oh, yeah. I'll, sure, I'll sing this one. And it's actually, I would kind of sing it near where the Luke Kelly statue is because it's where the Royal Canal hits the Liffey. And it's a song that generally is attributed to Brendan Behan. And it's about life in prison. And I'll, it goes like this. A hungry feeling came o'er me stealing. 
And the mice were squealing in my prison cell. And the old triangle went jingle-jangle all along the banks of the Royal Canal. I'm going to skip 17 verses. In the female prison, there are 75 women, and it is among them I wish I did dwell. And the old triangle went jingle jangle all along the banks of the Royal Canal, all along the banks. Of the Royal Canal. Is that generally where people will give you a tip? Because I think it, that is where they should give you a tip. <laughs> Ta- Sam, thank you so much. Um, I mean, as you say, there, it's not really, a, this is not a podcast about touring Dublin because there's too much. But I think you've given mm. us a great insight into what it's like to be a tour guide. And the passion you have for it is mm. adorable, but also <laughs> sort of infectious. And I do hope the industry comes back to what it was. And uh, yeah, I think... I've had my mind opened to potentially, <laughs> potentially doing tour. I don't ever do tours when I go to a place mm-hmm. because I always feel like it's, this is awful, but I feel like I go to a place with an agenda and it's like a waste of a day to find out about the history of it. <laughs> but the stories that you've shared and the way that I can like ameliorate them with like little bits of, <laughs> little bits <laughs> yeah. of facts about Venifines is great. Yeah. Um, if people want to hire you for a private tour or want to know anything, where can they find you? Oh. Um, Are you online? Yeah, you can get me through. There's a website, Atki, the Approved Tourist Guides of Ireland. And you can find all my details there. Email address, phone number. A-T-G-I. A-T-G-I. And it's just tourguides.ie. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And thank you... F- audience for listening to another episode of Basically I Have Been Your Host Stephanie Preisner just as I was at the start of the episode we are produced by Alan Bennett we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network our music is by Only Ruin and our graphic design is by Kahalo Gara if you want to become a Headstuff Plus member that would be greatly appreciated you can do that on headstuffpodcast.com see you next week This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.